As we begin today, we continue our series, The Beloved Community, and we are actually wrapping up this series next week, so you will not want to miss the opportunity to hear the conclusion of this series. We have said that the cornerstone, the block that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And in Jesus, we are reminded that we are all made in the image of God. And we ought to treat everybody like they're made in the image of God. Amen? And, and then we moved to the foundation where we learned that we are not to erase our differences. That one of the worst things we can do is say to people that I do not see your color. Because in saying that, we are saying that we do not see how God made them in God's image. But we are to celebrate our differences and put our individual gifts together for the glory of God through authenticity. Amen? And then we moved on to the keystone. And the keystone is the stone at the top of the arch that keeps things open and allows relationships and allows us to walk through and walk back and walk through and walk back. And the capstone. The capstone keeps all the good stuff in and keeps all the bad stuff out. It points us to the need and the responsibility for radical inclusivity and hospitality. So today we go to the mortar, and the mortar of the beloved community is justice. So let us go now to Amos, the prophet Amos, this is near the back of the Old Testament. If you flip too fast, you'll miss it. But also feel free to pull out your electronic devices so that we might move together. I'm going to skip around in Amos a little bit um, because it's important. Amos chapter 5 verse 6 says, Seek the Lord and live. It says, all oh, you who turn justice to wormwood and bring righteousness to the ground. The Lord is his name. The Lord is the fortress. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and take from them levies of grain, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins, who afflict the righteous, who take a bride and push aside the needy at the gate. In verse 14, seek good, 
and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil and love good. Establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. And then we go to verse 21. I hate, says the Lord, I despise your festivals. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Hear now these words from Acts. You heard some of these last week. This is the first church, the Acts 2 church. And they have had a Pentecost experience where all the people hear each other together. So those who welcomed the message of repentance, they were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having the good will of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, here we are to worship here we are to bow down. Here we are to say that you are indeed our worthy and holy God. So Lord, speak, for your servants are listening. And hide this, your servant, behind that old rugged cross, so that everything that is said and everything that is heard comes straight from you, O oh God. This is your servant's prayer. In the name of Jesus the Christ, we pray. 
Amen. There's not much good news going around right now. I did something that I rarely do anymore, and that's watch the 11 o'clock news. I don't watch the 11 o'clock news even though I'm awake because it just makes it hard to go to sleep. It irritates my soul to see all the bad news that leads. You know the old saying, if it bleeds, it leads. So this week, a shooting at Merkechian High School a high school that I used to serve as a youth pastor when I served the Powder Springs First United Methodist Church. And, 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 and another story about three Georgians who lost their lives in a drone attack in Jordan. Maynard Jackson High School. A, a, another situation and the victims and families of people caught in war every single day. Where is the Lord? H have we not done what God has told us to do? What is our part in all of this bad news? I believe the people of God, the church of today, Reverend Chris, has forgotten that the Bible says that God is a God of justice. That God cares about how we treat each other and what we do to each other and how we handle our conflicts with one another. There are three types of justice in the world today. One is reciprocal justice, or what we might call the law of retaliation. This is in the Bible in Deuteronomy, and it says, an eye for an eye. If you take my life, or my friend's life, or my family's life, somebody else has the authority to take yours. Reciprocal justice. Then we have what I mean, what we call retributive justice. This is justice that we are more familiar with in our justice system. This is punishment. This is a punishment for an action that you have done. Reciprocal justice. You do me wrong, I do you wrong. Retributive justice, there is punishment for what you have done. And what God eventually lands on in the Bible, and we see more in the Bible than any other kind of justice, and that is restorative justice. God is interested in restoring those who have done wrong. Are we? Hmm. God wants us 
to be concerned about which kind of justice is being acted upon in our world. For some, justice has become a bad word in the world. And we have forgotten that God is the one who wants us to act in justice. Justice is a leveling. Justice makes things right. Justice makes things equal or equitable. Justice rights a wrong and puts us in right relationship with one another and with God. So justice can't be a bad word. It's just that sometimes we don't like the justice that comes toward us because it may set us back a peg. Restorative justice knocks down privilege and prejudice. Restorative justice reminds us that we are indeed made in the image of God. And because we are made in the image of God, then our work is to make the world work as if all of God's children are made in the image of God. If you can't say amen, you can say ouch this morning. Because the truth of the matter is some of us really love our privilege. Hmm. It got quiet. I was at the hairdresser this week and I overheard a conversation about geography. A young lady has just moved to town and she was talking about her experience with the people of Atlanta. And she said, well, I'm from Milwaukee and it's so different from Milwaukee. And somebody else said, well, where is Milwaukee? Mississippi? And I too wanted to laugh. But it's only the privilege of education that I own, that I wear, that I walk around in, that allows me to make an assumption that everyone should know that Milwaukee is in Wisconsin. And I said to a friend, I thought everybody knew that. But, but I had a social studies teacher who thought we ought to know where all the states were on the map, where all the countries were on the map. And every time they changed their name, she'd scramble them up and say, which one is this? We ought to know them by shape. But everybody didn't have a Yolanda Washington. Everybody 
didn't have a teacher or a parent that insisted that their education teach them some basic things. It's a privilege. And the justice for that privilege is to insist that I work in a system that allows that education for everybody else. If you can't say amen, you can say ouch. But my taxes are already high, preacher. And, and, and if we invest more in the public schools, they're going to be higher. Privilege. <laughs> Restorative justice requires sacrifice of the privileged. Restorative justice, God's justice, requires a leveling, requires a little bit of a pitch with the mortar that it's higher over here and lower over here because on this side, they've already got some resources and they're way ahead of the folks on this side. It's biblical, Miss Ruby. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Mortar is a workable paste. <laughs> You mix it together to get the right consistency. I looked up the origins of mortar because it's Black History Month and I always like to know what black people invented that people don't know. And of course, I found that mortar, the origins of mortar, were the Egyptians who built the pyramids way back before the beginning of time. But Africans are dumb. That's what we say. That's how we treat them especially in the United Methodist Church. And we have building materials because these, build, these brilliant people of God found a way to get the blocks to stick together so that we could build higher and higher and tighter and tighter and more secure. Seek good, the prophet Amos says. Seek good, the Lord says to the prophet Amos. Seek the Lord and live. Seek justice and live. Seek good and not evil so that you may live and so the Lord the God of hosts will be with you hate evil and love good 
Establish justice in the gate. So the Lord may be gracious unto you. If we keep voting for ourselves and not for justice, we will continue to have the problems in the world that we have right now. And worse, the Lord has told us so. Seek justice and live. Seek yourself and die. Oh, preacher, that's harsh. It's in the book. I'm just saying. He says, I hate your festivals. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. That, that's your church services, just so you know. The, the festivals are our are, are big days like Pentecost and Easter and Christmas. I hate your festivals. And, and these were festivals where people brought their sacrifice to God. Thinking that they could, could sacrifice their way out of their wrongdoing. Any, any of this sound familiar? They could give their way out of their wrongdoing. If I brought the right animal, if I brought enough money, then I could be absolved of my sin. And God says it's the exact opposite. I hate your festivals. I despise your solemn assemblies. Because you are not doing what I told you to do. Let justice roll down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Why don't we want everybody to have what we have? Why don't we do the work of justice and pointing people to freedom? Why don't we want people to experience God's abundant life? The answer is fear. We're afraid that if somebody else has what we have, we may not have enough. We are afraid that if justice rolls down like water, then we may get rolled down. We are afraid that if justice is applied in the way that God says applied justice, restorative justice, where we restore all of God's people equitably to abundant life, then maybe we may not have or do what we want to do. But the Bible says that there is no fear in love. That perfect love casts out fear. And that if we really believe God, then we will love 
that if we really love, then we will not have fear. Dr. King wrote a sermon about this. It's called Antidotes for Fear. He says, in these days of catastrophic change and calamitous uncertainty, is there any man who does not experience the depression and bewilderment of crippling fear, which, like a nagging hound of hell, pursues our every footstep? He says the goal is not to eliminate all fear because some fear keeps us safe. Fear of the snake makes you run. You get to keep your life. Fear of your mama makes you not put your hand on the hot stove. You get to keep your hand. Some fear is healthy. Some fear protects us. But some fear is just a waste of a human life, he says. He says, first, we must face our fears and ask ourselves honestly, why are we afraid? Because when we really stop asking, start asking that question and put a mirror up to our face and see ourselves, God will reveal to us that some of our fear is baseless. That some of it is just because somewhere along the line, somebody whispered into your ear, you don't play with that little girl. That person is not allowed in your house. We don't go in that neighborhood. Why are you afraid? And then the second antidote for fear is courage. I remember growing up and my mom and my aunt Denise, they used to sing a song that says, encourage my soul and let us journey on. Though the night is dark, it won't be very long. Thanks be to God, the morning light appears. The storm is passing over. The storm is passing over. The storm is passing over. Hallelujah. Did you hear that first word? Courage. Tell fear to get thee behind you so that you can be the person and like the person God has called you to be. We let our fear control us as if it is God. When we should be going beyond fear and living into the courage that God has given us. The third 
antidote for fear, he says, is that fear is mastered through love. If we truly love our neighbor as we love ourselves, if we truly love the person who sleeps on the front steps of the church as we love our children, if we truly love those who don't have health care the way we love our insurance plans, our 401ks, then we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Fear is mastered through love. And the truth of the matter, whether it's right or wrong, is that we love best when we are in relationship with one another. So the antidote there is to be in relationship with people who are not like us so that we can love them as we love ourselves. It's okay if you can't say amen, you can say ouch. And finally, he says that fear is mastered through faith. Our faith says that when the church gathers, they are to put all their stuff together. And when they put all their stuff together, they are to redistribute it equitably so that all of God's people have what they need. So that no one is hungry. So that no one is afraid. So that no one is lost. So that no one is left behind. So that this child knows where Wisconsin is. And that Milwaukee is in Wisconsin because we shared the privilege that we had. Jesus says, fear not. Fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Don't worry because... God takes care of the sparrows and none of them fall to the ground without our Father. But the very hairs on your head are numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, because you are of more value than many sparrows. Loving God, you remember the greatest commandment. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God means resisting fear. Dr. King closes the sermon by quoting a sign he says were on many people's walls in the 60s. It said, fear not at the door. Faith answered. There was no one 
there. If we can move beyond our fear, then we can live in a place of God's justice. And if we can live in a place of God's justice, then we can live in a place of freedom. It is justice that sets us free. It is justice that creates a world where we do not have to be afraid that someone will break into our house because they already have everything that they need. Justice plus God plus, free, plus us equals freedom. Justice is the mortar of the beloved community. And when we become the beloved community, we become people of agape love, people of love in action. And that, my friends, is where we find freedom. And that, my friends, is where we find abundant life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen.